long, and me reading this is probably going to be an hour and 15 minutes of that. Um, no, but, but joking aside, this passage that we're in today is incredibly rich um, and deep, and I was actually telling Sharice that if we really wanted to, we could probably take a few months just going through chapter 9. There's so much in here, but... Um, with our goal of trying to go through Luke within about two and a half years, um, we need to stay on track. And that's, that's okay. We can come back to it. But what, we're seeing some pretty incredible things in Luke today. In our passage today, we're seeing this question that's constantly coming up. Who is Jesus? We're seeing this question once again. Who is Jesus? People are trying to figure out who this guy that is um, committing miracle after miracle, feeding people after people, healing people, raising people from the dead, they're trying to figure out who he is. And they're having an extremely hard time. And so we are seeing this question come up again. Who is Jesus? And we see this answered in a few ways. And so what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start reading. Um, and then I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to start unpacking this passage. Because this passage may have the answer. Not may have. This passage has the answer to the most important question of life. And that is who is Jesus? Starting in verse 1 of chapter 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew to a part to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we were to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And had them all sit down. 
and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened that he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah, and to others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were taken with were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while 
they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Father, we ask that you would illuminate our minds and hearts to this passage. That although this is a a large chunk to go through, that, that you would just make yourself known to us. That you would stir our hearts to love you greater. Father, would you reveal to us your chosen one? It's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In 2002, Sports Illustrated put on the cover of their magazine a very young, up-and-coming, talented basketball player called LeBron James. On that title... In bold, there was a huge statement of this young teenage boy who graced the the front page called The Chosen One. It went so far that uh, it said that a few months later that LeBron ended up getting that tattooed on the back, on the top of his back, Chosen Number One. See, he was looked at in the basketball world as the next upcoming star, the the one who would take the mantle that would be passed down from generation to generation and be the one to kind of re-image the game. See, LeBron for me was that chosen one. I would, uh, as a young aspiring basketball star, would go home and go on YouTube and watch as many clips of him as possible. I, I even have in, in, uh, in my office on the bottom shelf tucked away um, a book that was about him called King James. It's one of his nicknames. When his documentary of what it looked like for this uh, high school phenom that went from high school to professional came out, I bought it and watched it daily for a month or so just to gain a little bit of inspiration on my journey. You see, our human nature, our our flesh wants us to look for a chosen one and to grab on to that. You see, it's hardwired into our fabric to look for a chosen one. It is. And so what we do is we look at man or things and say that that will bring me satisfaction. That is my chosen one. And if I just emulate that chosen one, then satisfaction will come because I can be like them. You see, what happens though, and what happened with me, is you start to get familiar with that chosen one, and then you figure out pretty quickly that that chosen one is pretty flawed. (laughs) 
right? Doesn't our culture say that we need to find the one? See, we can look for a chosen one in anything. The, the chosen one can be our kids, thinking that our children is what brings satisfaction. We can look at the chosen one as a spouse or a crush. We could look at the chosen one as a sports figure and yet realize that as time goes on, someone else can easily come and replace that. You see, it's our our human nature, our indwelling sin, our, our, our sinfulness that wants to latch on to something or someone to fulfill us. And yet, mere created things will never, ever fill that void in our hearts. Think about where you have placed that hope in your lifetime. Think about from uh, childhood until, you, until where you are now. Think of how many things you have put your hope in thinking this will bring me satisfaction only for it to let you down. It's because what we have done is elevated that created thing into a place that it was never supposed to be. What our passage is showing us today is that Jesus is the chosen one, the Son of God, the one who will never disappoint us. And when we receive Jesus as the chosen one, there are things that we can then expect. But a good question that we first need to ask ourselves is, who is Jesus? Now, I kind of gave this vague statement that Jesus is the chosen one, but how can I really prove that? Well, this question that we need to ask of who is this Jesus that is being talked about can be found in verses 7 through 9. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. And he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. By some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Right now, at Jesus' ministry, he's, he's causing a ruckus. People want to know what's going on with Jesus. They want to know who this man is. And so, when Herod asks his people, who is Jesus? They give him three people. Well, three possibilities. He's either John the Baptist, and Herod says, that can't be it because I beheaded him. I saw his head on a platter. Well, then it's Elijah. Well, I, I don't know about that. That seems strange. Well, then it's probably one of the prophets of old who have been raised from the dead. People are trying to grasp on, figure out who this Jesus is. When Jesus goes back to his hometown, they say, isn't this Jesus the carpenter's son? Talk about an existential crisis going on here where Jesus' childhood neighbor is like, wait a second, Jesus is God? Didn't God create all things? And so then that means... The God who created all things created things with his created things. I'm sitting at a table that he just created for me. 
Okay, maybe I went too deep there. Sorry. <laughs> it's the things that keep me up at night. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. And this is one of life's, not, not one of life's, this is life's most important question. Who is Jesus? See, many people think that Jesus is a good moral teacher. Many people who attend church think Jesus is a good moral teacher. Some people think that Jesus was merely just a, a prophet that had some pretty good teachings. And others think that Jesus is merely just a, a fictitious fairy tale creation. The question that is being raised here 2,000 years ago is the same exact question that's still being raised now. Who is Jesus? And quite frankly, for some of you, this may be the most important sermon that you ever hear. Because this is a question that we're all going to have to ask one day. Or we're all going to have to answer one day. Who is Jesus. And so what Herod does is he, as king, he sought to see him. Now what's interesting about this is Herod being king, he could have called whoever he wanted to and they would have had to have come see him. Or he could have went anywhere and people would have stopped to let him go and see him. And yet our passage tells us that he just sought to see him and it ends there. A lot of people try to go in and see Jesus, but then they just kind of stop. They leave it as an idea. Who is this Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Jesus then goes on to ask this same question to his disciples in verses 18 through 22. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? There's that question again. And the disciples answer the same exact way that Herod had been answered. And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others, the, the one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, the disciple spokesperson, speaks up and says, the Christ of God. And Jesus then strictly charges and commands them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And so the disciples are starting to figure out who Jesus is. He is the Christ of God. Jesus is the Messiah. We, we see in, in, the, in the other Gospels, in, in, in Matthew particularly, where then Jesus goes on to say, well, it's not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you, but my Father that's revealed this to you. So it wasn't even that the disciples came up with this answer by themselves. It had to be revealed to them. But what we do see is the disciples get the question right. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ of God. 
He's the Christ of God. And then he goes on to say that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day. And on the third day be raised. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the long-awaited promised king. The one the prophets of old had prophesied about. The one whom in Genesis 3 said that there would be a seed who would bruise the serpent's head. This is him. But maybe you don't trust the disciples because they are but mere human beings. Well, we see yet another answer to this question of who Jesus is. But this time it's, it's from the Father himself. In verses 28 through 36, we see one of the most extraordinary scenes when, when Jesus goes up onto the mountain and, and Jesus is up there with Moses and Elijah. It's, it's quite incredible, so much so that, that Jesus, his face turns, his clothes turn to dazzling white, or as other gospels say, it, it's as white as bleach. The brightest thing you could see, he's up there hanging out with Moses and Elijah. And they're sitting there talking about his departure. <laughs> All the while, Peter, James, and John are fastly sleeping away. They finally come to, and, and, and Peter, for better or for worse, once again, um, poor Peter, uh, <laughs> goes from saying that you're the Christ of God to now he doesn't even know what he's saying. He sees this and he says, Master, let's build tents for you and for Moses and Elijah. And what Peter fails to realize that he's doing is, is first he's, he's elevating these, these two men, Moses and Elijah, to the same status of what Jesus is. But secondly, Peter is saying, let's stay up here. Jesus, Jesus, stay up here. Don't go back down. Stay up here. What Peter is failing to realize is that he's saying, don't go to the cross. Let's just stay up here. Don't fulfill your mission. Just stay up here. Which then, after Peter says that, what is, what is said is that the Father then says, this is my son, my, my chosen one. Listen to him. Peter, listen to Jesus. He's only doing what I've commanded. And Jesus even says this, that I'm here to do my Father's will. So he's only speaking what, what I told him to speak. He's only doing what I've told him to do. He knows what I have allowed him to know, and he doesn't know what I, what I don't want him to know. Peter, this is my chosen one. And this is who Jesus is. Is this who you see Jesus as? The chosen one? The son of God? The Messiah? The king of kings and lord of lords? Or is he just a functioning moralistic teacher for you? Where you act as a Christian panhandler hoping to get just a little nugget of gold here and there from him. This is the most important question 
and the most important answer you could ever have. Because when the lights start to dim and the curtain to our lives start to close, this is the question that you will be asked on Judgment Day. You know, when I was working as a server, there was a guy that I got to know pretty well. I remember the first time that I um, uh, almost shared the gospel with him. He explained to me what the gospel was, and it was, it, was, um, it was awesome. I loved it. But he went on to say, and I, I kid you not, a, a guy that was a few years younger than me, he went on to explain the gospel as this. He said, Max, don't, don't Christians believe that like, like once you die, you can either, you get to the pearly gates and then you can either say, okay, God, I want to come in or I want to go to hell, which to him was just this big party that went on that seemed a lot cooler than just becoming a baby and floating up in the sky. And I said to him, no, that's, that's not at all. The, the, the answer to this question needs to be asked now. It needs to be asked and answered right now. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because when the curtain closes and the lights fade, you don't get another chance to, to answer this question. It is set then for eternity. The answer to this question is that Jesus is the spotless, sinless Savior, and he is the one who would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and, and be killed and on the third day rise again. This is who Jesus is. He is the chosen one of God. Is this who you see Jesus as? If not, I would ask for you to reconsider. I wonder if, if you are, are not a believer in here today who you think Jesus is? Who is it that you look to, to to bring fulfillment and satisfaction? Ask this, this question to you, my brothers and sisters. Do you know who your Savior is? Do you really know? Or are you assuming you know? You see, there are things then we can expect when we receive Jesus as this chosen one. The first is this. Verses 23 through 27, we can see that, that we are to to then take up a cross. Discipleship, being a, a disciple, a, a child of God is, is not an easy task. Jesus goes on to say, and, I, I, and he said to all, if, if anyone should come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? We, we need to get past this easy believism that, that I just need to pray a, a, a prayer and I'm good. I've got my fire insurance in my wallet, Jesus. I'm good. I prayed that prayer. I, I attend church sometimes. Often I, I pray and read my Bible so I'm good. No, the, the life and commitment of a disciple is one of denying yourself and taking up a cross. The phrase that Jesus is using here is one of a gruesome, bloody death. 
The disciples would have known that. The life of a disciple is not easy. Paul says in, in Romans 12 that we are to be a living sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon once said it like this. I love this little, little phrase. He, he says that we are not to be living specimens in fine preservation, but we are to be living sacrifices. The cost of discipleship is denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following Jesus daily. And if you do not have the answer to this question right and in line, we will never deny ourselves. We see so clearly in the Apostle Paul's life what it looks like to deny yourself. The Apostle Paul had it made. He had status. He had luxury. He had authority. And yet what we see him say is, I count all of that as rubbish. I count it all as loss just for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. When we indulge ourselves in things of this world instead of taking up our cross and dying daily to follow Jesus, we are slowly being choked out. I mean, Jesus goes on to ask this, this hyperbole question, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? I mean, what Jesus is asking right here is, okay, say you get that work promotion that you've always wanted. And say after that work promotion, you get another work promotion. And then you have all of the money in the world. And then you're able to buy that home and buy those things and go on those trips and retire early. What if you get all of those things in this lifetime and afterlife, you figure out that, that compared to eternity, that's nothing. What do you say to that question? Because when we're constantly looking for things to satisfy and fill us, it'll always leave us empty and hollow. And so we can expect a cross to pick up. But we can also expect a purpose. I mean, this is maybe one of the most incredible things about becoming part of the, the family of God. Is your life isn't meaningless. Your life has meaning. It's, it has total and, and utter meaning. You weren't created here just to, to go through life and then die. You were created with a meaning. You were, you were created with a, a purpose. We see this in verses 1 through 6 as Jesus sends his disciples out. He sends his disciples out to, to, to uh, cast out demons and cure diseases and to proclaim the kingdom of God and, and to heal. When Jesus is, is your chosen one, when, when he is your Messiah, you're, you're given a purpose in this life. Your purpose is to be a school teacher and pray for your children. 
hoping that you get the opportunity to, to evangelize to them. Your, your purpose is to be a, a businessman. A, a blue or white collar worker. With the, the hopes and prayer that you're able to reach your co-workers. Your purpose is to live a life glorifying to God. Your life isn't meaningless. In fact, it has more meaning than it ever did. When you look at Jesus as the chosen one. But it's far too often easy to think, how could God use me? I don't have enough to bring to him. I, I can't offer him too much. I, I'm not intellectually capable of this. I, I can't remember well when even I pick up and, and read. I, I think, right? I know some of you, I'm going to just gently uh, nudge my wife under the bus here. <clears throat> She's now looking at me. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Okay, oh well. I know some of you have, have hard time remembering what you've, what you've read th- that same morning. Teresa and I have great conversations about this. Because I'm the one who forgets all of the time. Um, <clears throat> and so maybe you're thinking, I can't even remember what I remembered that morning. How in the world could God use me? You know, I'm only starting off on this very intentional discipleship, gospel-centered lifestyle. How in the world could God use me? You know, I don't have a a degree past high school. I don't have a a Bible degree. I don't know the Greek or the Hebrew or or I'm a slow reader or whatever our human excuse is. I mean, I, I come up with them too. So I'm saying that with love. God supplies everything we need. We, we see this so clearly in, in verses 10 through 17. As the disciples then come back. And Jesus and them go to a de- desolate place. And they only have five loaves and two fish. And the disciples are sitting here thinking, how in the world could Jesus use something so little? They, he certainly couldn't use this. And yet what we see is Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish so much that his disciples have enough to eat. I mean, 5,000, and that's just men. We're not taking into account the women and children that were were there as well. And yet there was so much that then the disciples were able to have some. There were 12 baskets baskets left over I don't even know if five loaves could have filled a basket but now we know that there's enough for 12 baskets God's going to supply what you need this is why when Jesus is, is teaching the disciples to pray he says when you pray like this one of the things you pray is Give us our, our, day, our, our daily bread. He's going to supply everything you could possibly need right now. He's going to supply everything that you could possibly need when you're in that conversation with your coworker or praying for your students or trying to, to get through just another family dinner with your kids. Verse 
He's going to supply what you need. And so we can expect a supplier. But lastly, we, we can expect a solid, a solid truth to hang on to. We see at the end here, verses 37 through 45, that when Jesus and the, the, the disciples are coming down the mountain, a, a man runs up to him and says, Jesus, your disciples, they weren't able to cast out, the other nine disciples weren't able to cast out this demon. Please cast out this, this demon in my son. And so Jesus casts out, out this demon and while everyone is marveling, Everyone is marveling. I mean, picture this. Everyone is marveling after this boy just fell forward, started convulsing in front of everyone, and now is in his right mind. They're marveling in astonishment at God. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at what Jesus is doing, and, and, and they're freaking out. I don't know who, who wouldn't. And Jesus turns to his disciples he turns to his disciples and what does he say? He gives them a, a, a truth. He says, let these words sink into your ears. Right? I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up and when I heard my dad said, let this sink into your head, Max, I was going to listen. <laughs> let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. I mean, this is after a miracle. I mean, it's, no, it's, it's not surprise that, that there would be the feeding of the 5,000 and then Jesus would ask the disciples, who, that, who do they say that he is? And he would then reveal himself and tell them, I'm going to die. And then do another miracle and then Say, let these words sink into your heads. He, he doesn't want them to miss the point. He hasn't come to establish a, an earthly kingdom like this. He's come to establish an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. And how that kingdom lasts forever is by him sealing it with his blood. And he doesn't want his disciples to miss this. And this is something that we can't miss too. Because it is far too easy to get caught up in the world, in trials of various kinds that come, in trying to get through college, trying to pursue that next promotion, having a heartbreak, and forget that there is one who satisfies you by dying for you. So who is Jesus? How, how are you going to answer that question? When you leave here today, how are you going to answer that question? I'd like to conclude like this. This past week uh, was one of those weeks that was excruciatingly painful to get through for me. 
started out the week with a, a, a sick house and a stomach virus that went around. And, and I hate with a passion the stomach virus. There is nothing more on this world that I detest than that stupid stomach virus. I would rather break every... Well, no, never mind. I don't... That probably wouldn't feel good. Um, I, I just... I don't like it at all. So, started out the week with, with a, a sick little human being in our house. Then a, another sick medium-sized human being and then a sick full-sized human being. And, and then I was exhausted. Physically, mentally emotionally and you know what I felt like Satan was just attacking me bringing up past sins that were so vivid almost as if a movie was rolling and if I'm being completely transparent I wanted to throw in the towel and indulge. I wanted to just say, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I, I, I need something to satisfy me. But, but praise God for his providence. As I'm going through this passage and thinking, who is Jesus? He's the Son of God the chosen one who's taken away my sin and given me his spirit. So although I have a cross to bear, there's a crown waiting for us. Although I have a purpose that I sometimes don't want to live out, I've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to complete it. I know I have one who supplies all of my daily needs. And I know that truth leads to triumph. When we know who Jesus is, our lives will show it. We won't be perfect at it, and that's okay. But we will strive daily to live in communion with this one who has done such a great thing for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. To live a a perfect and spotless life. Thank you that he supplies everything we need. Thank you that we have the Holy Spirit that guides us daily. Father, please don't quench the smoldering wick or break the bruised reed but instead continue to nurture, continue to show your fatherly love. Pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen.